welcome to the Cabramatta Vineyard Church podcast. We are a missional community in southwestern Sydney that desires to be a preview community of God's generous rule and reign. For more information, check out cabramattavineyard.org.au. It's hard to know where to start, but to say it's very nice to be here and feel so approved. And uh, I just want to say that in the worship, I, I felt kind of like uh, you all were up the front here while we were leading not just us, but like we see Jesus in the middle. Um, and at one step, like he was just being led in worship of the Lord. And at one stage, he was doing the, the Russian. Okay. Like, he was, it was quite amazing. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. Like, it felt like he was, had, he was so delighted to be here. You know, that's the main idea that came with that. And then was, to see him going around the room and affirming each one of you. It's a lovely place to be, and, and, um, and I like that we're using AEBT, Australian Eastern Union Time. Whose fault is this? <laughs> so you can put yourself wherever you like in that. Um, but from us from Newcastle, it's such a pleasure to be here, to be among friends. We want to bless you guys and affirm you as a community and as individuals in this place. And the word came to me is really strongly about you as Cabramatta is witness your being here in this place as a witness, no matter where you go, where you end up, you'll, that's what you want to do. It's a witness to truth, power, beauty, Christ. So I'll leave with that, hopefully flush out a bit more as we go. I'm going to try and run a in wire, so we'll see how we go. But uh, I want you to, to start with, I'd love us to think about reflect on the first instance that you really got caught of something. Try and go back to the first time you went, wow, God's really doing something. You know, he's calling me into something and I know it and I feel it. And it could be um, something that happened soon after you were you, you came to know Jesus. Go right back as far as you can. 
uh, could be something from just a little bit uh, subsequent to that, where he spoke to you either through his own voice or through someone else speaking over you. Uh, it could have been that could be it could have been what we usually call call ministry, or it could have been a pronouncement of gifting or some strong encouragement, maybe some some direction for the development. It could have been a new job and how that might uh, be a perception. You in a place, doing a thing for God and his people. So um, so I'll elaborate a little but giving you an example for me. So I, I was in my very early 20s, which is a long time ago. And, um, and I remember we, we had some, some moment visits. I was at a uh, Baptist church in Newcastle, and uh, these men from Samoa came, and they were, they were fired, and they were stepped into the Baptist church, and they almost went up in flames. It was amazing, it was so different, you know. And I just, I, I, whatever was going on. It was mysterious and wonderful. It was energetic. And uh, one day here when they were leaving, uh, one of them, I could still see it, he stepped in front of me and he said, Harry uh, Simpson said, uh, Mike, you will do great things for you. know, you get hit by stuff like that. And, um, it was partly the credibility of this situation. So anyway, I, I, that's my thing. So I want you, you can take whatever question, you can close your eyes and do whatever you want, but I just would like you to think about what that moment might be asked or to recall something you can't grasp on something straight away. And I want you to reflect on that and sit with that, whatever promise was made or formed, what were the words you heard, what did it feel like? Was it excitement or trepidation? Just sit with that for me. Well known 
text, but it's good for us today to listen to this and we'll glean something from this short. So it's in Luke 5 if you want to read along. And we're going to do 1 to 11. And it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around and listening to the word of God. And so I brought his edge to the boat so that they were fishing and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a book on the shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down the nets for cash. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat and came to help. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus. And Jesus said, Go away from me, Lord, I am sick of me. But he and all his companions were astonished at the fish they had taken. And so were James and John. And Simon said to me, and Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed them. Now, Surprisingly, this isn't Jesus' first, uh, sorry, Peter's first brush with Jesus. Sometimes we think it is. And, uh, but surprise, surprise, it isn't. John's Gospel places that moment of Peter's first introduction to Jesus way back in the days of Baptist's ministry. So, and even coincides with Baptist's own first contact with Jesus. And for me, I've been surprised by this thing because uh, if I start reading John 1, I only make it to verse 18 because I read through the, you know, God became a word and then it so blows my mind I have to put the Bible down and walk away for a while. So I never make it past verse 18. Um, but uh, we're going to go past verse 18 and we're going to start at verse 35 in John 1. Uh, so just for a quick context, because we'll skip a couple of verses. Uh, Jesus is being baptised by uh, John the day before. And John has, in that moment, testified that he saw the Spirit of God in the light on him. And so uh, we'll be in verse 35 to find it. I should have worn my goggles. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when they saw Jesus passing by and said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying with Come, and reply, and we'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
next day, Jesus decided to leave the Galilee. Finally, Philip said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law about who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And I'll leave Now, we could say a lot about Peter's first contact with Jesus, but I'm going to simply suggest that it was utterly transformational for him. The encounter would forever change his life, and the initial proof of that is the bestowing of a name on him. Simon becomes Peter. However, what to note is that Peter has not been given any overt task. There's no mission, there's no ministry, not yet. No, in that moment, he was simply found by Jesus. But what we don't see clearly is the transformation in that moment. Because he was also transferred in that moment to another kingdom. And you might say, hang on, Mike. I don't see that at all. That didn't happen. Well, I think it did. And I'll try to show you how it did. Because we often associate the giving of a name with its symbolic nature. That's why we name our kids certain names. Often because it symbolizes something. And in Simon's case, uh, Peter is phonetically the same as rock. So you are Petros, uh, you are, yeah, um, and you, you will become the Petra of the church. That's Matthew. So Matthew's version of this name of the event, he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So the symbolic nature is really clear there. Simon will become a strong bedrock on which Jesus' church will be built. John's version, however, simply says, you will be called Peter, full stop. So, this is our earliest version of that encounter with Jesus. And he simply named Peter Peter with no explanation. So what could it mean in John? Does it mean something different? I think it might. And this is my suggestion. Now, um, it doesn't sound so profound to us. And it seems like just a bit of a nice gesture. Uh, and perhaps we're aware of Matthew's version, what we do in our minds here is just link the two without even thinking through what's going on. Uh, Peter means rock, we know that, so we combine this to that name. But because we're removed from the situation by about 2,000 years, we don't know the cultural nuances that are going on when this happens. And so, uh, what might a name or a renaming of me in the ancient Near Eastern context of this time? Well, I think it's pretty profound. And my suggestion for this is something around the nature of what used to happen with conquering nations. So in this era, a conquering nation would take the inhabitants of the conquered nation. Usually it was the nobility and even those of the royal family. They would collect them, they would take them back to wherever they were, and they would immerse them in this new cultural matrix that is very foreign to them. The chosen and the proven would potentially even become a part of the new king's of And here's where we might discover a bit of insight in this renaming of Peter. Because part of the immersion process for these conquered people 
was Greenway. They were renamed into the culture of the Hoovering This happened to Daniel and his mates. Daniel was given a new name, a Babylonian name, as part of his cultural transformation. And I think we hear echoes of the same phenomenon right here with Simon Peter. King Jesus immediately put Simon under the new kingdom's controls and authorities. Something profound has actually happened with Peter at this moment. He is named as a new citizen of a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And while this is profound, the clarity of his call is still to come. It will come in measures, not in one sitting. Peter's initial call is as a citizen of a new kingdom and bye-bye as a son of a new kingdom. His call is specific and unique and wonderful and it is not this first call is one that we all have in common with Peter. And I assume we've heard that all of like probably would be. So sure we probably were not given a new name when we were called at that first moment. But then neither were Andrew, Philip, or Nathaniel. All of us have different callings and different purposes in the kingdom. As Paul says, we're not all ears, we're not all eyes. What we are is what we are. With the emphasis being that we're part of the body of God's speech with a unified and distinct form. Our unity is in our sonship, our citizenship. Our diversity is in our uniqueness in the body. And these are the things I want to reiterate. Your calling, like Peter's, is not initially into a ministry or a mission. It is, however, called into citizenship. Citizenship of a new and conquering kingdom. And it just so happens that as citizens, you're also family. Family members. The core member is perhaps this core, the most active, its most potent form, is into a, into a singular family, a central place called Christ. He is where we are called. I think it's something we don't often consider when we think about the nature of our calling. We often forget the relational weight that it might carry, the singular focus. And I want to remind us of that today. We often give precedence to our call and ministry. And while that call is special, unique, and precious, it's not the call to Jesus. Peter's first call was not to become an issue of men, and it isn't ours either. Those came later. The disciples' first call, according to John, was to follow Jesus to his house. And I quote, Where are you staying? They asked. Come and see. He replied, And they spent the day with him. Now, I'm kind of with them. That's it. We don't get any more of the conversation. Imagine what went between the disciples and Jesus at that time. Amazing. But undoubtedly, it was formation foundational for those disciples so that later when Jesus astounds them on the Sea of Galilee they drop everything and follow him again into the next phase of the mission of Jesus' mission. So, 
the first call that Peter uh, received was the call to journey with God. So I want to frame it up in this way. Uh, and I think Jesus helps us to do that when the disciples ask him how they should pray. And I love the beginning of that prayer. It is our Father. It's relational. That's the beginning of every prayer that we should have. That centered focus. Not the mission or the place that we're headed, the things we're doing. It's the address of and in an episode where his own perfect band came to him and asked to see him, we get the same familiar ideas. Jesus replied, Who is my brother? And who is my mother? And pointing to the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister. And so it becomes this centralised family. And so I want to place Peter's issue and ours in the appropriate frame. And the frame is not a call to go out of the world, but to come towards the centre. To come close, and see where he's staying, and talk, and listen to the sun. To go with him to where he's staying, have him introduce us to his Our Father. Father of whose family. And that's the initial call of Peter's Andrews, Phillips, and Daniel's lives. The centering call to see the Father through the Son and to be changed by that moment of knowing. However, and this is the threading of the needle. The kingdom we're called to is dynamic and forceful and it's here to conquer. Conquer all kingdoms. The son of our brother is also the king of all other kings and he's going about subduing the nations. So it's not long before the family members call into the family business. In Luke 5, Jesus appears in Simon's hometown and preaches the sermon from his boat. And so it happens that in the very place of Peter's vocation, his family vocation, because he was in it with his brother Andrew, he receives a new family vocation. Peter clearly struggled with what that meant. And maybe when you receive your call, you do too. Or maybe you are overjoyed and embrace the invitation. I thought more excitement than dread or trepidation when I had that word spoken. But whatever the reaction we all be had, we hear the same spoken word to us in our moment of revelation. And that is peace. Do not fear. That is, Jesus says, yes, I do actually know what I'm doing. It's not go away from you, but you don't know me. It's here, yeah, I do. And it's my hand. And we're reminded in that moment of 
the ground you got out of our nature is and our brother tells us not to fear but to take a hand being off and journey with him again now it's important to note that Peter is Peter he's not James and John nor is he Paul or Elisha he has his own call to answer we have ours and both are perfectly good and yet both are perfectly as they are given by the one king. And just as I want to affirm that call into sonship over you, I also want to affirm the call into ministry over you individually and this wonderful church. That you've received going to family business and to journey with you again. And now, We've reached that spot, but I do want to consider one more thing. And it might appear that our calling is set in stone. And this is where I think perhaps for a lot of us, we may struggle. And maybe this might happen for some of us. Peter's call to be a fisher of men is profound. And while our calling may not become such obvious and overwhelming physical symbols, they came from the same person. And that's what matters and what makes them potentially overwhelming and obvious for us. We heard Jesus speak to us. We heard the voice and we responded by taking the hand. But there's another step in the process. And Peter, and probably for us too, is a difficult process to take. It's a step that will pass a new life on this call. So we can fast forward now three years into Jesus' ministry from the time of Peter's Falling on the boat, we see that we're back in the same spot. We're back fishing. And we get a bit of a repeat of what went before. So we're going to read now John 21, if you want to follow along. So imagine this. There, Jesus uh, has been showing up every now and then after his resurrection. But the disciples still don't know what to do. So, 21-1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Said Simon. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught me. Now, uh, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was him. He called out to their friends, have you no fish? They answered, no. He said, pray that's on the right side of the boat, and they find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the netting because of the large numbers. Now, I want to pause here because it appears that Peter's having a bit of deja vu. The circumstances of the miraculous catching profoundly similar to his first one. A word from the Lord, followed by a responsive obedience, followed by a miracle, followed by a profound perception of the identity of Jesus, and then followed by a call, but this time with a meal in between. But notice when the call becomes in the remainder of this chapter. So I'll keep going from verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
he is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say he's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken him off. He jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. Towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they had landed, they saw a fire burn, burn the coals there. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples there asked him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to him. He did the same with the fish. It was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. But when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, be my lambs. Then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes. Yes, Lord, you know I Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Now, Jesus, Peter's uh, initial call in Galilee was to be a fisher of men. And the manifestation of this occurred throughout Jesus' ministry. Perhaps the most notable was the time just before the sending out in 72 when the 12 went out together. And they fished for men. So the call of Peter's life to fish for men hasn't changed. And part of that profound nature of that call on his life is the repetition of sin in this passage. Jesus is saying to him, this is the call on you. Through the same idea quite um, So, it doesn't change. Peter is now, however, tasked to take on another industry. So, it all changes in a moment. Uh, one he's not familiar with, he's being taken from a fisherman now to a grazier. He's feeding sheep. Yes, it's a metaphor, like the fishing pole. But as opposed to fishing with this large, quick catch, it is now being called to be patient and to hold a long view in his vocation in the kingdom. They're quite different undertakings and they call it quite different actions. And because of their sharp differences, we have some questions. Questions like this. Does it mean that Peter is no longer fishing for men? Well, no. That's been answered in the context of this meeting. It stays the same. Well, our next question is then, well, what's with the feeding sheep? <laughs> it's quite removed from fishing, isn't it? Yes, it is. But it is for Peter, I think, yet another clarity around his call. He's not just going to catch them, he's going to nourish them too. And if shepherding is what Jesus has in mind here, which I think he might, then he's going to be doing more than that. He's going to care of in all manner of ways for the sheep. Taking them, building a secure place for them to stay. The pastoral list goes on. And I suppose it's at this point that we're glad that metaphors. Imagine the shepherd, that's pretty busy. And the pastors here know all about that. 
rather both. I think what Jesus is doing here is simply clarifying further down the road what Peter's calling involves. He's giving him a bigger picture to see what it is that he's doing. The fishing metaphor is true, but it's reached its capacity to reveal to Peter the broader nature of his calling. Peter's calling and uh, is sufficient. Now, another's introduced to help him see what Jesus has in mind for his whole life. And I'm going to bump this insight right into our context, into our own calling, and ask you to try and see the ways in which the same thing has happened to your Has your calling changed and morphed over time? Because for some of it, that initial call may have seemed like it's had its run. You'll know if that's true, but I think for the majority of us, it only changes and grows and broadens and deepens. It doesn't necessarily get pulled from the table. So my question for us then is, what has Jesus clarified about your calling? What he initiated at the beginning was more than likely just that. It's an invitation that begins our journey in the search. But along the way, we're inevitably going to be called to build upon that. In the same place, but managing very different notions of what a call might be. So, has your call changed? I'm not going to give it a straight no, but I am going to suggest that the majority of us hasn't ceased, but has changed. As as we've grown toward the centre of our first contact with Jesus, He's opened up new and challenging and maybe exciting avenues for us to journey along. It's a kind of both-and thing. Your initial call is purposeful, it is strong and unique, and I would suggest ongoing for the majority of us. The challenge occurs when you ask, have we given the time to consider all the different ways in which we can ask for that to deepen it, refresh insights into what Jesus might be asking us. And then we have to ask maybe, has that new calling, new broadening, what has it done? Has it excited you? Has it challenged you? Or has it even grieved you to think that things are changing and you have to potentially keep up with what's happening in your life? Are we still focused on fishing, for example, that we're not given time to explore and contemplate the call of shepherding or cultivating the garden or any other number of metaphors? And my feeling is that while some of you are reveling in your calling and its expansion over time, some of you might not be. Some of you might be challenged by that and even green in that space of change. So, I want to, on behalf of our little media church, bless you with that your home and affirm the calling of your life. What I feel strongly to do, and realising too that it's also probably changing and morphing and that's difficult for, for all of us contemplating to try and change. So, I'm going to hand over to a couple of my compadres, perhaps, who might 
help us to pray perhaps into that situation where we are where we're going and what it might look like. along that process. 
but that it's also important to recognize that and to pray for healing mm-hmm. and to honor that, to honor the cost and the pain and the losses along the way as we continue towards that meeting on the boat together as well. So, yeah. Mel, have you got any sense of how to facilitate that? Not really, boss. <laughs> So she's causing me to defer. Would you guys get a cave? I got you a skin. Yeah. And I'm just going to ask the whole of you. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. yeah. And it's really tangible. Like yeah. And I, yeah. yeah. 